Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John 11. Man, I've been having fun with this chapter. Oh, my goodness. It's, this chapter is probably, to many of us, just an old friend. We've read it over and over, the, the raising of Lazarus, you know. But that's, that's what is so exciting about studying the Scriptures expositionally, going through it a little bit. Because every time you do it, the Holy Spirit always brings something else up to the surface, man. And I just love it. I just love studying the Scriptures. We're going to pick it up at verse 21. That's how we came as far as verse 21, maybe a little further. But I do want to back up to verse 21, and we're going to read down to verse 45. So if you'll just read quietly along in your Bibles with me. In verse 21, it says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall live again. Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the last, or in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, unto, uh, saying The Master is come and calleth for thee. Now, as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came unto him. Now, Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Mar- Martha met him. And the Jews... Then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out following her saying, oh, she goes to the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping with um, which came with her, she groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. Some of them said, could, he, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused this, uh, that even this man that should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was the grave. It was a grave, and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, "Take away the stone." Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, "Lord, by this time he stinketh." You gotta love your old king, huh? For he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Say I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that thou hast heard me. I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I say it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that 
and, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Let's stand, gang, and pray over this text. Father, thank you so much. Though this text might be familiar to many of us, it's just miraculous. Lord, that every time we read even a text like this, there, it speaks to us so loud and clearly. So I, I pray again, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, let our, our hearts be cleared of any kind of distractions that we might be able just to receive the Holy Spirit and what he has to say to us today. So would you please, Father, put your anointing upon the words of your word. Please, Father, I pray that you would just allow everything to go you know, out clearly and, and, and no confusion. So we're asking again, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be our chief instructor here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have have died. And one of the thoughts that we left off with last week is, what do we do when it seems like Jesus delays or love delays when you're, you're dealing with, when you're dealing with some Thing in your life where it's you're just totally frustrated and you just you just think that you're in dire straits and you've been praying and it just seems like nothing's happening and then you start to you just start to experience frustrations and um, you're just wishing that something could just move maybe a little bit more quickly. I think we've all experienced that from time to time and when you look at your situation. You start to think, wait a minute, man, I know who I serve. I know whom I believe in. And this thing here, Jesus could handle it effortless. And, and yet he doesn't for some reason. To the point now, as you look at your current situation, you're looking at it and it's, it's gotten so bad. You're looking at it now and you're thinking, now it is impossible. And you even start to doubt, can God do anything about this? Now it's so bad. You know, and there could be people like that even here today. And uh, the, the thought that we had left off with last week is when we read a passage like this, it leaves us with, um, it, it kind of just leaves us with needed perspective, you know. And I gave three of them. Number one was when we go through things, through, um, when we go through things like this, um, remember that God knows about our situations better than we know. Than we know. I mean, you look at the situation Mary and Martha was going through. Martha thinks it's it. If you had just been here, my brother would have died. But yet God knew exactly what he was going to do with that situation. He, in fact, he even prolonged his coming to them for two days, you know. And then finally when he gets there, it's a total of four days. And he... he, he he knew Lazarus was going to die. 
The second thing that we kind of left off with too um, was that whenever that God knows our situation and he knows what we go through can only add to our relationship within him as far as it relates to to love, you know, and that he knows our lives greater than we even know ourselves when it comes to hardships like that. Another thing that we must remember when we're going through like this is we must never allow God's delay to cause doubt when it comes to his love for us. And unfortunately, that's exactly what it does when we go through hardships, when we go through times of doubt and and questioning we start to think, and I just think it's because of humanity. It's just human, human nature. We start to say, well, God, do you really care that I'm going through this? Do you, do you know? And you start to doubt that. And yet when we know this, when we read the scriptures and we start to memorize promises and we start to, we start to realize, no, wait a minute. I know God knows, my, knows me better than myself. I know he knows my situation better than I know. I know that I'm, I'm at that point where I start to question his love. And then you're able to go then to the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then you're able then to, listen, the, the, the enemy of our souls looks for those little chinks in the armor as it was, those, those weak spots or those weak times. He knows when we're down, when we're questioning, and that is when he's going to bring it in, full force, man. And that's why it's important for the Christian, the believer, to understand the nature of Jesus, to understand the word of God, and then you have that in your mind and in your hands, and you're able to combat that. But without the, the Christian, without the knowledge of the word, and I hate to say this, gang, but they're doomed. They'll continue to believe that God doesn't know the, their, their situation. They're going to continue to doubt whether God loves them or not. But when you know the Bible, and listen, we all have Bibles, and we all should read our Bibles, and we should memorize the word. So that when the enemy does see you, listen, we're not exempt from hitting those dire straits. We're not exempt from facing things, you know, where we start to doubt. But it is our fault if we don't know the word of God. Amen, guys? Look, I don't know, I don't know why God does that in our lives. I know it's for his good. All things will work out for the good. That's the glorious promise that we have in Romans chapter 8. But here's the problem. When we do go through these times, times of waiting on God, wondering if God knows what he's doing, we start to think, really, God? And yet what we read in Isaiah 55, he goes and he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your, are, nor are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, verse 8. And that's something I, you know, when I'm going through something, God, the worst thing I could do right now is try to figure this all out. I'm trying to make rhyme and reason out of this, you know. And the, the final thing we ended off with last week is, well, what do we do, Harry, when we face those? And I had said to you, just surrender. Just surrender your heart, your mind, surrender your beings into the hand of God. Why? Because he's the one who holds the entire universe up. It's a strong and a powerful hand to hold you up through those times of doubting and questioning. Well, Harry, isn't that sin? No, doubting and questioning is not sin. It's not sin. It's just the human nature. 
So in verse 22, staying with our, our, this, this event here, it says, But now even I know that whatever you ask of God, God's going to give it to you. Now there's a little hope in, it seems, in Martha's, in Martha's heart here. And I think with a smile on Jesus' face, you know, he's, you know, he says to her in verse 23, Okay, your brother will rise again. And the response from Martha just boggles my mind. Because she, she responds, I have, to, I have to admit to you, a lot like I would respond. She's going to get all theological. Well, I know that he will raise again. Now, I don't know if he's like, duh. No, I don't think she, she's doing that. But she says in verse 24, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection in the last days. You see, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, they've been well taught in the rabbinical teaching. They know that even in the Old Testament, there's a teaching about the resurrection of the dead. They had verses like this. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For the dew is like the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast for, or cast out the dead. I mean, there's, there's many more, too, by the way. They believed in the resurrection. So here comes Martha. She's running out to Jesus. Oh, Lord, if you had only been here, you know, my brother would not have died. And, well, I'm the resurrection of life. Do you believe that? Well, yeah, I do. I know he's going to rise again. Theologically, I know. See, listen, gang, listen carefully. We, we can have the tendency of doing this. You know, we can go um, from the real and the tangible, the practical, you know, and then we can start to get all theological. Why? Because we, we really don't have a, a, a grasp on his mercy and his grace. My brother's dead. You didn't care. You didn't come. Well, I'm the resurrection and life. And if you believe in me, you'll rise. Do you believe this? Well, I know that he's, she gets all theological. Well, we do the same thing. You know, we'll go through our times of testing in our, in our valleys, you know, and we're saying, we, you know, the Lord will say, I'm here. Oh, I know you're here. And, uh, you know, I'm the resurrection. Well, I know the dead will be caught up first to meet the Lord in the air. And we that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. And we'll be metamorphosed into a change in our glorious body. I know that. And Jesus says, no, I mean now I'm here. I, I am resurrection. Not I was. Not I'm going to be. I'm resurrection, I'm life. And you can just see Martha just going, what? But the Bible says, the Old Testament says, we do the same thing. We start to make rhyme and reason out of things that we know theologically. And listen, gang, it's important that we have a a basis of theology, but never get theology. Listen. The, T-H-E, that's the word for God, ology, the study of God. On this side of heaven, you and I will never, ever understand God. And that's the problem. Listen, just think of the word eternal. Somebody explain it. Well, no begin wrong. If you use the word beginning, that's not eternal because beginning has a starting point. There's no way for you and I to ever, in this side of heaven, in these finite bodies, to understand God. So that's why I think that, and listen, I took three years of theology in seminary, and I, I came out of that more confused than when I went in. I went in, true story, I went in knowing God loved me. I came out wondering if God loved me. And that's what theology does. 
You're never, ever, this side of heaven, going to understand the true nature of God. You'll never understand his pure love towards us. And yet, I'm glad he loves us. I don't know. I went down a bunny trail there. Forgive me. So she responds, well, I know we will rise again in the resurrection at the last days. But what about for me right now, she's saying, practically change. I got a kid brother that's in a tomb and it's been four days and he's rotting away in there and decaying. He stinketh. Listen, I don't doubt God's ability. I'll confess to you. You know, I've been walking with the Lord long enough there. I don't, I don't doubt his ability, but sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I wonder about the willingness. Is he willing? You go through and you go through your trial and you're like, like a Martha, you go, Lord, if you only had taken care of this then, then we wouldn't be in this pickle now. And now I'm looking at now and now I'm wondering, I'm getting all theological with you. Are you really willing to do this for me now? And how many have ever questioned God if he was willing or not? Sure. Thank you for being honest. We will. will. And if you haven't, you will when something happens. But there's always a reason why we go through those times. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, no, no, listen, I'm the resurrection of life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, may be, uh, though he may die, he is going to lie. He's going to live. And what he's saying to Martha is, look, you're talking about last day resurrection. I'm talking about I am the resurrection. I am everything you need. I am everything you're wondering about. I am, ev- I, I am it. I am, you know. The Gospel of John, by the way, is written around seven I am statements and also seven miracles, if you were to outline the Gospel of John. And I think that's so important to know as a student of scriptures, the I am's. Because when you do go through your valley, like, like what Martha and Mary is going through, if they knew the I am's, like we can know them now, Hey, I am the resurrection, not I was, not I'm going to be. This is going to be something. No, right now, here and then, you're dead in your sins, but I can raise you to life. I am resurrection. Seven I am's. Listen to them. I'll give them to you real quickly for your for you note takers. He said in John 6, I am the bread of life. Bread sustains physical life, so Christ offers and sustains spiritual life as well. He is the bread. You hungry? Spiritually hungry? Don't fall into the law. Fall into Jesus. Fall into a relationship with him and get into the word of God and just start to read it. And you'll find out that spiritual hunger that you have will be satisfied. Number two, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8. To a world that's lost in darkness, Christ offers himself to be your light, which would be your guide. Just follow the light, right? I was in Boy Scouts for a period of time, and I remember if we were hiking through the woods at night, I would just follow the guy in front of you. He's got a flashlight. Follow the light. Follow the light. Follow the light. Right? I was lost one time in West Virginia with my kid brother, and I, I, maybe I was like 10 years old. I don't know how we got lost. And man, it was getting dark, and I started to freak out a little bit. When I freaked out, Brian would start crying. We were in a real pickle, man. We didn't, couldn't hear anything. We were way up in the mountains. And as we were walking along, my, my kid brother, we're going to die. We're going to die. I said, look, no, no, we're not going to die. We're not going to die, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, as the trees were blowing, I saw one light. And we started to follow a light, took us to a neighbor's house. And that's it. You follow the light. And Jesus said, I am 
One of the I am statements. Don't follow a church. Don't follow a man. Don't follow a book. Get rid of the books, will you, for crying out loud. Well, I follow, you know, this series. All right, praise the Lord, but follow Jesus. He also says, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus protects his followers as shepherds protect their flocks from what? From predators. Man, follow Jesus. He is that door and he'll protect you from the wiles of the enemy, from the predators that are out there. Number four, I am the resurrection and the life right here in John chapter 11. Uh, Death does not have the final say in a believer's heart. Does not have the final say. And you and I, we go to the funerals. Listen, why? It's not the final say. Jesus has the final say he is the resurrection in life number five i am the good shepherd jesus commits himself to caring and watching over his flock number six i am the way the truth and the life in john chapter 14 you know jesus is the source to all truth and to all knowledge about god if you want to know about god look towards jesus you with me this morning gang And number six, I am the true vine, John chapter 15. Attach ourselves to Christ. We are enabled to, uh, we're uh, enabled to, uh, to have his life flow. If you're attached to Jesus, that's where life flows through. That's the seven I am's. He's saying, I am, not I was. Martha, stop getting all theological. I am resurrection. I am life. Listen, two things. Theologically, yes, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. I am counting on that. I can't wait to see those who are, who's gone before me. Um, but he is the one who takes a person who's dead in the trespasses of his sin. And then God, through his Holy Spirit, is able to resurrect new life. Listen, gang, I want to just say this so, so we can move on. Um, it all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. It all starts with my friendship with Jesus. Think about that word, friendship. What is it like? I know we all have friends, right? I have some dear ones in this church. When I'm down, I need to talk to. There's one guy in this church I know I can talk to. I just call him. I don't have to say much. I got to hear his voice. We talk. We pray. I know he's praying for me. He's got my back. We, we talk together. We hang out together. I trust. He trusts me. We keep on. That's a friendship. Well, now just kind of think of Jesus and your friendship with him. Do you walk with him? Do you talk with him along life's narrow ways? He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Amen, guys. You need to have a personal relationship. Why? Because you know what? Spiritually speaking, scripturally relating to it, we're all going to have a Lazarus in the tomb one day. And we're going to have to hear Jesus say, I am resurrection. I am the vine. I am the door. I am life. And then you'll be able to go, okay, I can endure this. In verse 26, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, gang, listen. Hey, Closer County Times, the obituaries. If you ever read, Harry Presley has died. It's fake news. (laughs) CNN stuff. Now, kidding. Now everybody's going to be mad at me now. You know. But it's not true. I haven't died. No, you know what a death to the believer's like? He takes his last breath this side of heaven, 
but just to take its first breath that side. Amen, guys? You're not even going to be able to blink. It's a nanosecond. Think, and you're there breathing the air of Jesus. Amen? You're not going to die. Do you believe this? Absolutely. Fake news. I shared that on Wednesday. got the same response. Listen, I'm so glad for passages like this. I am because, you know, just on personal note, I just can't wait to see my kid brother again. Oh, just to, just to see him again, to see mom, you know, to see my brother Denny, the one who led me to Jesus, and to see pop. I'll say, you just got in, didn't you, Dad? <laughs> but to see an uncle who stood at my kid's, my kid's brother's funeral for recognition of who Jesus is, and I'll see him in heaven. I just can't wait to see that. I, this, this, the older I get, this is less appealing to me. I just want to see our Lord soon, our King. Do you believe this? Listen, it, it all hinges on belief. You know that, right? But if you're here today and you're just visiting, you know, and you're th- in your mind, maybe your heart, you're thinking... Man, I want to believe. I want to believe. I, I just want to slow down a minute and explain something to you. If you just have that little bit of desire, oh, I want to believe. You just have that. That is a gift, a precious gift of God. Just giving you that little measure of faith where you can take that next step. I want to believe. That's perfect. Then take that desire to want to believe and approach Jesus with it and just say, Lord, I want to believe, would you reveal yourself? Reveal resurrection, your resurrection, you are life, you are the shepherd, you are the door, you are the vine. Reveal yourself. And that's where it all starts, gang. Just that tiny, tiny little measure of faith given by God through his mercy and grace. No one is exempt. No one. Remember the Samaritan? woman who was there having dialogue with Jesus, John chapter 4, right? And I won't go through that whole event. Oh, listen, I want to say something, and I want to really, this is from my heart. Be careful, moms, dad, Sunday school teachers. Be careful not to call the events in the Bible a story. Like it's some type of fairy tale. We have the word of God. We handled these are events. This really happened. Parables didn't happen. Jesus said they're stories. But when it comes to like this, there was a real Lazarus who was real sick, who really this family wanted help from Jesus, but Jesus didn't show up in time. And he literally died and was placed into a tomb. Tell the event like it actually happened, because I'll tell you something, they will get to an age, listen clearly, they'll get to an age, and they're going to start thinking of it as a story, and then they're hearing another story by Gandhi, they'll hear another story by Muhammad, and before you know it, it is no longer the inerrancy of scripture, the real deal, it is just a Bible story. And we'll go back and think about the little flannel graphs. Now look, flannel graphs are great, kindergartens and all that, you know. But when you're a junior high and you start to, and reasoning starts to happen, you have to give them something concrete to take with them into that world. So be careful. These are events. 
actual stories that really took place. You with me, gang? We don't call them stories anymore, right? But I know I'm going to blow it. I'm going to say stories, and you guys are going to be graceful with me, right? All right. Actual events. Now, check this out, right? Verse 27. Oh, Lord, I do believe. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God who came into the world. Man, that's a very powerful statement, isn't it? And when she had said these things, she went her way. Oh, I was going to talk to you about the Samaritan woman, wasn't I? Oh, I got off a little bit. And the reason I wanted to talk about the Samaritan woman is because even there, there was belief. Remember the Samaritan woman? She sit, she's sitting there at the well. Jesus came. And I, listen, I'm not going to share the whole event with you. But as they're, as they're talking together, if you remember, Jesus says to her, and I'll paraphrase for you, uh, honey, go call your husband. Well, um, uh, um, I, I don't have a husband. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The guy you're living with right now is not your husband either. Oh, I guess you're a prophet, aren't you? You know. And so she leaves and she goes to the town and she goes, you got to come and see this man who's told me everything about myself, Jesus. Then the whole town empties out, comes down, and now there's dialogue between these people who left that small village, came down, sat there, conversed with Jesus. And this is what they said. They said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that, that uh, this indeed is the Christ. And he is the savior of the world. She starts off with just a little bit of belief. Verse 28 said, and when, she, when he had said these things, she went, or when she had said these things, she went her way, secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, oh, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and she came to him. Now, listen, gang, um, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, if you remember last week, man, she broke protocol, man. She, she didn't even consider the mannerisms and the customs of the day, the traditions. She just got up and made a beeline right to where Jesus was, you know. See, in their custom and mannerisms, man, a woman would never come to where a man is unless she's invited. But our, our gal here, man, she's a lot like our Peter, isn't she? Man, she's nothing going to hold her back. She's going to say what she wants to say. If you had only been here, you know what? Then she makes a beeline. But not, not Mary. Now, now, you know, when Mary went, she's invited. There in verse 28. The teacher's calling for you. She gets up quickly. You know, the thing that, that, that I love about this, this account is that, of course, Martha is a lot like a Peter, isn't she? You know, whereas Mary's more like a John. You know, Mary will, when we see her again, we will see her sitting at the feet of Jesus and just weeping over him and anointing his feet with spikenard. And it was, I just wish I could have seen it. She was one who was always, like, expressing her love to him. Martha, not so. Martha was that busy bee in, in the kitchen and always cooking and wonder why her sister wasn't happy. And I bring this to our attention because I want you to know this, that within the body of Christ, there's all kinds of personalities. I just, I just made a joke last week. Can you imagine if we were all wands or if we were all Jerry's and we kept telling jokes 24-7? Um, 
can, I couldn't imagine if everybody was a Harry. You know, it, nothing would ever get done. Nothing, the body wouldn't grow. We need each other, folks. Is what I'm trying to say. And I need every different personality that's here. And not, nobody's personality is wrong here. Uh, don't let everyone criticize you. Don't let anyone tell you it's a sin issue. You're, you might just be a Martha. And I so appreciate you. Or maybe you're a Mary. Man, I love you. And Peter. and John, Whatever you are. However you fit in. I'll tell you. This, this pastor. He, he needs everyone. Anyway, so Jesus had not yet come to the town of verse 30, but was in the place where he had met up with Martha. And then the Jews, verse 31, who were with her, came into the house, comforting her, said, when they saw Mary, arose quickly and went out and followed her, saying, oh, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Wrong. Then when Mary came where Jesus was, saw him, she fell. Now notice, she falls down at his feet. And if you'll notice, it's the same exact words that Martha used. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. I, you know, maybe it's speculation, but I kind of like to imagine what it was, would have been like there. What was it like in Mary and Martha's house prior to Lazarus dying? Lazarus is in the next room. He's very sick. Mary, we've got to get word to Jesus. Man, we've got to get him here quickly. Get the messengers. I'll get there. If we don't, he's going to die. You can see this, and you can see why they both use the same phrase. Now, my point, though, is I think they said it differently. Where Martha might have went to him and said, being a Martha, why weren't you here? If you had only been here. She doesn't fall down. She doesn't worship. She's not weeping. She's frustrated. And I totally understand Whereas Mary comes running and she falls down. And I think there's a tenderness in her voice. Oh, Lord, if, if you had only been here, my, my brother might not, might not be dead right now. You know. And again, I just think that there's, it's so important that there's different personalities. But I think hanging together... They did encourage one another, and there was support. Listen, if you hang around with the the the, the cynical and you uh, the skeptical and the and the, the critical, that's what you'll become. You know, you'll become snarky and you'll become cynical and cyn- you'll be the same way. But if you hang around people who just I don't know people who have hope, people who who understands who he is, the I am. So I, I'm lost. Well, Jesus said. I am the door. Just go to Jesus. Well, you know, I just feel so hungry. Well, go to Jesus because I am the bread, he said. Or when you know the I am statements, you can help other people when they go through times like this. I think it's so important. Hang out with Eeyores. Guess what you're going to become? You'll become Eeyores. And my goodness, I, lo- I try to love on them and I try to smile. But my goodness, I just want to clean my ear with a carrot scraper when I'm done with somebody <laughs> like that. How you doing? Oh, you just don't know. I don't know. I just I had a flat tire coming in. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, I didn't have a spare either. And uh, the guy that tried to help me wanted money. And, you know, I don't know. This is not a good day for me. And I just, you know, I just kind of wish I was dead. Well, I want to die right now. You know, it's so 
you gotta, you, you gotta be careful. I'm, I wanna, I hang out with my brothers, and like I said earlier, who love me and who will lead me and guide me, and and we'll see another uh, kind of a, a part of this whole thing too as we go on, we go on a little further. Look at verse thirty-three. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her, he groaned. Very interesting word there in the Greek, groan. In the spirit and was troubled. Again, different approach. In fact, Jesus dealt with Martha's theology and Jesus dealt with Mary's tears. This groaning gives me another picture of Jesus. Now, it's interesting not to bog you down or bore you with Greek, you know. The word, and I'm looking at it in my notes here, I am not even going to try to phonetically sound it out. No, I'm not. Only five times it's mentioned in the Greek New Testament. And it's an odd word as it's used here because it's a word for authority. It's a word for something just bugging you. You know, so it's not where it says he's groaning. Some Greek words will uh, indicate there's a groaning where there's remorse and they're throwing sackcloth in the or dust in the air and you got a sackcloth on it and you're kind of groaning. This word, and the best way I can explain it, and you might not know this brother, um, a lot of us do here, Ken Graves. Ken's got this growl thing, and and when something's bugging him, he'll go, You know, but that's what this word means. So he's looking and he sees Mary and Martha and their emotions. Mary's weeping and he sees the other Jews are weeping. And Lazarus is just around the corner in a grave and he just sees it. And he's, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. And then we find, then we, we see in verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? Come, Lord, and see. Verse 35, he weeps. Now, that word weep means to show a tear, to, to, to shed a tear. To not, you're not convulsing. It's, it's almost like he doesn't want to be seen. But he starts to weep. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. What do you mean, Harry? Well, he knows what he's going to do with Lazarus. So I know he's not weeping over Lazarus. He's going to raise him from the dead. He knows that. And he knows that the, they're going to be eyewitnesses to this very fact. That's not why. So why is he weeping? Why is he, oh, I don't like this. And, and now he's weeping over the different emotions. I'll tell you why. Because what he sees is the result of sin. And that bugs him. He understands that at one time, men, women walked freely with God in the Garden of Eden. Had full reign to God. And then sin entered into the world through Adam. And that relationship between God and his creation was severed. And he sees the fruit of that, that death was ushered into the into the world. And the reason Lazarus was sick was because of the fall of man. And the reason he's dead is because of the fall of man. And the reason Martha is so upset is because of the fall of man. And Mary is so upset is because of the fall of man. And our Lord goes, oh, I don't like this. And he begins to weep. That, to me, I really think is what's happening here. 
See, Paul the Apostle in Romans, he kind of said, said it like this, that through one man death entered into the world, one man death, Adam, but then because of the obedience of another man named the second Adam, which would be Jesus, he would become resurrection and life to usher mankind back into a new relationship with God. There's no reason why God's creation cannot have a relationship with, our, with him today. Jesus paid the price. He tore down the very veil that separated man and God. He tore that thing down, ripped it right in half, and he says, go ahead and go right on into a more perfect sanctuary. And if you want, call him Abba. Call him Dad if you want to. Jesus did that for us. But he understood what sin did. He's, he's not angry. He's not harsh at them. He's compassionate. He's merciful. James chapter 5, I believe it's verse 11. At the latter part of that verse where it says, And our Lord is compassion and full of mercy. Verse 36, the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus is weeping. See how he loved him. Boy, were they wrong. I mean, he loved them, but that wasn't why he was, he was weeping. Some of them said, could not, th- you always have this group. This is the people you don't want to hang around. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Jesus, again, here's that word, groaning in himself. <laughs> These guys make that comment, and he's going, oh, oh, oh. Comes to the tomb where the cave was, and a stone laid against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, of course it would be Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He stinketh. For he had been dead for four days. Four days he had been dead. Now here's the thing, gang. I'm going to try to wrap this up. We're talking about Jesus who can raise the dead, right? We're talking about a Jesus When he died, earthquakes happened, veils in the temple ripped in half, rocks went flying. Could he have not just said, you know what, stone, roll away. Just pushed it aside. He could have done that. Why didn't he? Why did he look at Mary, Martha, the other Jewish people that were there that were mourning his death? Why why did he say, hey, guys, roll that thing away? I think Jesus wanted them to have part in this. I want you to, I want you to, that which is concealed, I want you to reveal. Open it up and you'll see what I can do. See, Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. In fact, he probably was already risen or maybe not. But you, that which is concealed, you move it out so I can reveal what I can, you know, resurrection. Resurrection. When I looked at that, I thought, wow, Lord, are you trying to say to us, too, spiritually speaking, that you want us to roll a stone away? That those things that we try to conceal, that we try to hide, the things that we know that are in our lives, they're nothing but a stench to you that you're trying to say, if you just roll back the stone, let me bring you back to life. And I think that's exactly what he is saying. How do you do that, Harry? What, what's, well, I think it's through confession. Not confession to man. I think that's a waste of time to confess your sins before men. For forgiveness anyway. 
But I think what Jesus is saying here, man, re, just roll back that stone. And those things that stink in your life, just make that confession. This is what David said in Psalms 32. I acknowledge my sin. I think it's the first step is the acknowledgement that there's certain things in my life, in your life, according to God, it stinketh. Right? He says, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge my sin. My iniquity I have not hidden. See, when we keep the, the tombstone, when we keep it closed, we are trying to hide something that God already knows that's in, that's in there. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And then the last part of that verse, and you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. Confession. Now, I know there's passages about confessing your sins one to another, but I believe that's just for building one and up and help helping each other out. But man, for just to show you that, ah, don't conceal it. Let me show you there is resurrection life to the believer. In verse 40, he says this, Jesus said to her, did not I say to you that if you would believe, um, you would see the glory of God? Roll the stone away. Lord, he stinks. Yeah, but I said all the way back in verse 4, that he, you know, that this death is not to the end, but this death is to bring about glory to God. Roll it away. Hey, I want to challenge you. If you can see this, spiritually speaking, that there are these stones in our lives that we need to roll away. I think that's the only way you're going to see the glory of God work in your life. Notice he says in verse 41, they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now, wait a minute. If you're a student of scripture, you might kind of trip over this a little bit. Because in Matthew chapter 5 Jesus instructed them not to pray openly. If you remember that, right? Hey, I want to say something unto you. When you pray, don't pray like the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. They stand on corners and, and with their long prayers and their repetitive words, man, they want to be seen by man. They'll have their, their glory here on heaven. But when you pray, I want you to go in your closet. And I want you to pray in secret because your father who sees you praying in secret, he's going to reward you openly in heaven. So why is he now praying in Ah, see, in Matthew chapter five, what he was warning them over and over and over is don't do it the way the hypocrites are doing it. So Jesus is not praying a hypocritical prayer here. No, see, Jesus had a private prayer life first before he ever went public. He would pray in the garden. In fact, there would be one time where he would say to his disciples, you pray over there because I have to be alone and pray over there. He understood what it meant to have a private prayer life in order to have a public prayer life. And I say to you, again, be careful. Make sure you have a prayer life. But make sure you have that private prayer life first. Then have a public prayer life. I shared this story in the... Um, now it's an event. <laughs> I shared this because I really did this, this stupid thing. So I was invited, right, to open up this thing called a uh, full gospel businessmen's breakfast, right? 
So I, the brother that asked me, he actually comes here. He goes, would you come and open it up? I forget what they call it. Is it a convocation or something like that? Anyway, it's an opening prayer for this big thing, right? And I said, well, what do I got to do? Well, you got a suit and tie it. You got to kind of look the part. No, no, he didn't say that. I'm thinking, oh, I got a suit and tie it. And I got to. So I'm so nervous about this thing. So I thought, I know, I'm going to write out a prayer. Bad idea. So I start writing out this prayer, and I get there, got my Dumbo-looking suit on, and I'm just, I'm standing there, and so I say this ridiculous prayer. It was just so dumb. So this brother, <laughs> he comes up afterwards, and he's so graceful. He goes, Huss, nice prayer. <laughs> I said, dude, I was so nice. He goes, yeah, but I was kind of hoping you would just come like you were. I go, what do you mean? I thought you were going to come in your jeans and your short shirt and you just, I said, but everybody's in suit and tie. Well, maybe they feel comfortable, but I, I kind of wanted you to come just like you were. I said, really? See, I kind of blew that, didn't I? You know, we got to be careful when we pray, we're praying to our father. We know he hears us already. And there are times where he uses in, in public prayer where we're addressing him so that other people can hear that prayer. And then they, in return, will glorify their father. But if it's hypocritical, like your pastor was for that crazy breakfast I went to, no one heard it. But anyway, live and learn. Amen? Um, so again... Now, verse 43, now when he had heard these things, he cries with a loud voice, Hey, Lazarus, come forth. And he, uh, and he that had died was bound hand and foot and grave clothes and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said, Hey, loosen him up. Now you think, well, I've heard that a million times, but think about it. He's resurrected in the grave. He's got these grave clothes. He's got a napkin wrapped around his head. Jesus is just being practical here. Hey, the guy's got to move now. The guy's got to breathe. He's got that head thing going. And the air's going, you know, I can't breathe here. And so they had to, you know, get, get, his, get the thing off his head so he can breathe. He's alive. But the thing I love about this, though, just like, hey, you've got to have some skin in this. Take the stone away. And two, he says the same thing. Hey, you have to have skin in this. I want you to take the head cloth so the poor guy can breathe. And then I want you to start unwrapping him. Burial wrappings were, and they called it burial cloths, but they were about four inches. They would wrap it. They would use certain resins to almost make it feel like a cocoon. But he's asking the disciples, and he's asking Mary and Martha, start unwrapping your brother. He needs your help. Now tune in. This is how I'm closing this. You and I roll away the personal stones. Don't try to conceal anything. Let the Holy Spirit work in your hearts, right? confess your sins. He's able and just to forgive you of all your sins, right? But you see, look, you and I, we've seen people and most recently people are receiving Christ. They're they're becoming born again right here in our congregation. This September we're going to have a baptism and I'm hoping I can baptize each and every one of them. But see, gang, this is where you and I come into play. These are people who are coming out of the tomb jumping and they can't breathe yet. And our job is to go and take that off. Say, hey, take a deep breath. Jesus loves you. I got some stinky things here. He goes, well, let's unwrap that doubt. Let's unwrap that addiction. Let me help you in this area in your walk. Let me have, each and every one of us are called to do that. Look, I know that there's programs out there called discipleship programs. The problem with discipleship programs is the people who you disciple feel like they're just a program. No, 
Discipleship is a personal one-on-one with a person. And you're saying, look, I want to help you in this area. And I want to take, hey, I understand. I had to remove a lot of my, my I had to let a lot of stinketh things out of my life. But let me just help you. Let's stand together. That's what we are called to do, gang. And listen, if you can say, yeah, I'm doing that, that's glorious. I got one person, maybe two. I don't recommend three or four, just one at a time. Ask the Lord, you know, to show you what the person's needs are and help them out. Don't take on four or five or six of them because you'll be very inadequate trying to help somebody. Just one. And if you don't have that person that you, that you can help unwrap that cloth to take off the head covering and let them breathe and walk freely, then pray for one. Say, Lord, bring someone into my life that I can help. Help me. You know, everybody says, well, how are you? You pastor a church, four or 500 people, and you must be doing a lot of unwrapping. No, this is preaching. This is teaching. I do have one person right now in my life that I'm just helping unwind. I'm just slowly taking some cloth out of him, off him and helping and praying and making sure the enemy is not condemning him. And letting him know how free he is. And I keep discipling. And there will be a time where I'll say, now you have to go find somebody. And then you've got to find somebody. So pray about it. Amen, guys? Let's lower our heads. We'll pray for it right now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, God, this glorious event. This, this, this thing that happened during your lifetime where you were able to show Mary and Martha and the others so So many things, Lord, that if they would just believe, they would see the glory of God. We believe today, God. We really do. Most of us have, well, we have come out of the tomb of death and destruction, and someone helped us. Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would bring somebody into our our lives that we would be able to come alongside of them and read scripture and pray over them. And if we have to rescue God and take that old head cloth off them so they can breathe the breath of Jesus, Lord, please. So we just, Lord, your word tells us to offer ourselves up to you as a living sacrifice, a living instrument that's holy and it's reasonable. It's the most logical thing we can do as Christians. We just commit our hearts to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said.